We are now in the height of the British summer, with temperatures hitting record highs and drought orders in place across much of the southeast. Concerns about the impact of global warming are increasing, and it is expected that these conditions will become the norm in the future. The implications for farming, horticulture, and water consumption are serious. A conference at Warwick HRI has brought together researchers who are involved in developing solutions for a water-scarce Britain. Dr Jim Monaghan from Harper Adams University and leading researcher at Warwick HRI is speaking at the conference. Jim, I suppose that most consumers are well aware of the impact of hosepipe bans, dragged orders and the difficulties that this poses in keeping our, just our gardens well watered. Are the same issues affecting farmers? Farmers are often competing for the same water resource as consumers indirectly. Rivers are going through farmland that then end up um, being used for drinking water. Um, but they don't have quite the same issues. Things have to get quite difficult before they get the equivalent of a hosepipe ban. But more far-reaching than that is that um, there's quite a bit of legislation that's come into place through the EU um, Water Framework Directive, which will be implemented in the UK in 2012, which is looking at um, minimising not so much water use as the over-abstraction of water, and also um, there's other legislation looking at contamination of water. So there's, there's sort of legislation that's coming to look at um, preventing rivers being run dry by abstractors. Um, and you'll see a lot of um, winter storage reservoirs when you go around vegetable production areas of the east, the south, the midlands of England now. You'll see large reservoirs which are filled up when the rivers are full in the winter and then that means that the um, growers can use that water at the period of, of high use midsummer. We're starting to face issues now in the UK that have been problems for farmers and agriculturalists in southern Europe for a long time. I know some of the research that you've been doing has been looking at this process called fertigation. Can you explain what that is? Fertigation, the word is just fertiliser and irrigation combined, and that really sums it up. You're putting water on your crop, well, at this point you have the opportunity to put fertiliser into your solution. So um, if you look at crops like tomatoes, uh, people growing on their own, or if you've seen them grown commercially, they'll be receiving all their nutrients because they'll be growing in a soil-free substrate, maybe sand, maybe rock wool, um, or even peat, which is very low nutrient. When you move into a field, it's a slightly different situation. You go to these dry countries like Israel or Egypt, Morocco, Spain, there, they're often growing in very dry soils, semi-arid conditions, and there they need to get a lot of water on, or not a lot, they need to get their water on um, accurately. It's an expensive resource. We've been um, a, a temperate and, and uh, maritime climate. We've never really had to consider this. We've been able to just sit back and, and often we'd sit grumbling about too much rain rather than too little water. But as we've seen this summer, we saw last summer, the models are predicting we will see more in the summers coming, um, we suddenly are getting a position where the crops need water. People currently would use, you'll see a lot of rain gardens, you might see irrigation booms being dragged across crops, uh, putting water on. They're fairly inefficient. Mm. You'll see those things and you'll also see large puddles. If you get the timings wrong, and they're fairly um, crude control systems, if you get the timings wrong, water can run off the field taking topsoil, and starting to pollute waterways. So we've been addressing this through fertigation. So here we've got the opportunity to put down trickle tape, which is um, in its crudest form, it looks like a flat hose pipe with small holes in it, but there's a lot more to it than that, of course. 
putting these down the rows of crops, and this will deliver the water. It, we would then pulse maybe between two and four fertiliser pulses through there at different stages in crop growth. So we can um, first deliver water when it's needed, and secondly, um, deliver the nutrients when it's needed. Because mm. the nutrients are quite an important aspect, because if you were growing in the soil traditionally in the UK, and the bulk of growers still do it in this manner, they will apply fertiliser to the soil. This will uh, dissolve slowly and, and become incorporated in the soil, and plants are then able to take it up. But if it's important for a plant to take up these nutrients, let's say eight weeks later in its crop cycle, but you're only going to apply it maybe once or twice to the soil as a granule, you have to ensure yourself to a certain extent, by often by putting a little bit more fertiliser than is the absolute minimum, just in case the situation arises that there's actually a lot's been flushed away or whatever. Mm. And so you find that people use more fertiliser if it's solid, but if you're able to, to apply it little and often, you can use less. Mm. So what sort of savings are we <coughs> talking about in terms of the, the amount of fertiliser that's required? Well, we've found, we've done three years' work with lettuce, and uh, this is we, this is um, Warwick HRI, but also we've been working with businesses like Tesco, Geest, um, for, for factory for processing, and then also growers like Intercrop and Bonford and Jepco. These are well-known in the, in the UK industry, growers of lettuces, but also growers of runner beans, the two crops we've studied. And in three years, we've managed to get... Um, Clearly a, a third saving in nitrogen for lettuce and nearly a half saving in runner beans. So this is both quite um, in terms of a benefit, both in terms of cost, but also the environmental impact of some of the fertilisation techniques that we use in farming. I think there's, there's a great potential for benefit because it's a system that you can use and it's like a car. You can drive it too fast mm. and burn up all your petrol or you can drive it slowly and, and save money. I think what fertigation allows is um, a greater control of the speed you're travelling. It's not such a crude system, it's quite precise, um, the, the way that we've set it up. You actually describe the system as dynamic fertigation, um, as opposed to the sort of, I suppose, non-dynamic fertigation that you get in southern Europe, um, which I think you've characterised as being sort of a, a guy on a motorbike turning a tap on. Um, what is it about the, your system that kind of makes it so dynamic? Well, uh, there's dynamic in two aspects. One, you want to have a system that can respond to the environment. It's a, a waste of, of um, resources if you fertilise 20 minutes before a heavy rainstorm. It's a waste of resources if you've irrigated your soil up to a fairly high capacity and then there's a heavy rainstorm because it will just flush straight through the soil profile. So what we've got is a system that can respond to... Um, uh, met data, commercial met data, which comes out and gives you probability of rain events at uh, certain locations. Um, we can incorporate this into the control system and, uh, for example, if it says there's a 90% chance of 5 millimetres of rain in the next two hours, um, we're not going to switch the irrigation on, so that would override the need for irrigation. Because at the same time, it's not only dynamic in responding to the uh, predicted Forecast. It's also dynamic in that it's responding to soil conditions. We've also set it up that it monitors soil moisture automatically. And again, um, rather than have people coming around with neutron probes or calculating soil moisture deficits, which may be a, a common way of doing so, um, this is again running on its own. 
Is this a system that's kind of really geared up towards the major operators, or is it are the principles that we're talking about something that could be could operate at a smaller level as well? Uh, the principles would work down to we've got them going on small plots the size of someone's living room, but for the the saving, it's really got to be on a larger scale, mm. because if you've got a small plot, it's actually not that difficult to to just keep an eye on it and be watering it yourself, almost with a watering can. It's when you get up to large commercial scale that you would you want to be uh, seeing a system that can cut out the labour and cut out the imprecision. Are there other lessons that we can learn from Southern Europe in the way that we handle water management on within farming? Necessity is the mother of invention, and if you're short of water you're going to invent ways to apply it um, sparingly. And that's why this system has been developed long ago and used particularly in Israel and Spain. Um, what we can learn um, is the basics. What becomes different is the UK climate. Although we're sitting here saying that it, it is getting drier, it is likely to become um, probably more drier, however the winters are likely to be a bit wetter on some models, um, we do still have rainfall events. Here we are sitting on what is probably going to be the hottest day of 2006 and tomorrow there's forecast of thunder. So quite destructive amounts of water could be delivered at that time. The reason we've had to adapt is that we will have um, uh, numerous, we will, you know, we will have numerous rainfall events during the growing season, during the dry season. If you go to somewhere like Cartagena in Spain or you go to um, Israel, they are almost guaranteed not to have rain for their growing periods. It's the same in California, almost guaranteed not to have rain. So they have a system where they've got a lot more leeway and they don't need to worry so much as we have to the environmental effects of heavy rainfall um, and also the prediction of heavy rainfall because fertigation Will, would work just as well in the UK as it does in Spain or Israel if we had an arid environment. Mm. We've, the reason we've had to do this is to adapt to rainfall events. Should we actually be looking at changing the crops that we're growing rather than sort of fighting to try and um, use up more water on things that perhaps need to be moved northwards to be more sustainable? Well, we've seen that partly breeders have done a job and also the climate's done a job. Um, people would, would never have been growing forage maize as far north as they are now. Ten years ago they wouldn't have done it. We're getting fewer frosts. We're seeing that in the southeast in Kent. They're saying that crops that require a certain amount of cold um, to then set flower the following year are not getting sufficient cold. So the flowering is coming later and later and later. So we, we've seen data that shows that over, over a period of 10 to 20 years we are seeing climatic changes that impact on the crops we grow. Yeah. Um, Everyone sort of throws their hands up and says, isn't it great, we don't need to move to the south of France anymore, or the south of France is moving here. But uh, and, and as a consequence, yes, I do think you'd see crops that maybe are being grown in the middle of France, we could be having the south of England. And crops that currently wouldn't grow um, too far north, you can still, you'll be moving up. Um, I think, personally, I think that we won't be seeing swathes of sunflowers in the UK for a long time yet. I think that there are many tricks to play with agronomy, just down to things about how you manage the soil, how you prepare the soil before you plant the crop, mm. which will have an impact on maintaining the crops we grow now. And there, are, there are benefits to having a slightly warmer, drier climate. You're, you're, if you're looking at wheat, 
Mm. Even though we were talking about horticulture, but you're looking at wheat, it'll, it'll ripen a lot quicker. It'll dry out a lot quicker. If you drive down to France, every field will now be harvested. We're only just starting to harvest in the UK now, in, in July. There will be changes in pattern. And if, in 10 years, will we have the same crops? Yes, there may be one or two things you'll be surprised to see. In 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, um, then I think there will be some more changes in crop types. Mm. But always remember... It's also what the customers want to eat. And if you're talking horticulture, we grow, we grow all sorts of things which are not designed for the UK. We just put a roof over them, put a glass house over them. Mm. Um, what may be quite interesting is going to be that halfway house, which is maybe you don't have glass over, you have plastic over. Apart from all the issues of it doesn't look so pretty and other people get agitated. But that's, that may be the halfway house. I think we may be able to grow more exotics cheaper. Do we think that the balance is right at the moment between the pressures for water from residential and industrial usage and, and agriculture, particularly in the southeast, where I know there's a massive pressure to, uh, for building housing? Are farmers going to get squeezed out of the water equation? I think, there's, I think farmers who are wasting water will get squeezed out of the water equation, but for them, the real pressure is to demonstrate that they are being efficient, to demonstrate the need to apply the water, and when they are applying it, it's the right time, and they're applying it in the most efficient manner. So they've taken care, they've thought about it, and they've demonstrated that they've considered options. So they've got to show that they know what the variability of their irrigation unit is. And these things are actually required now, because to take water out, to abstract water, they need a licence. And there's now um, catchment abstraction, abstraction management strategies being put in place. Again, part of the Water Framework Directive. And they get basically a fixed time where they're allowed to abstract. So maybe I think it's seven years or so is the, the licence. Um, they need to demonstrate that they are using that water um, carefully. Um, a, a catchment area will have a limited amount of water that they will allow out of the the watercourses onto the farm. So you could imagine a nightmare scenario, if you want, from a grower perspective, where they could not abstract as much water as they wanted to. That may, in some areas, be not too far away, because sometimes it's not about having the water there to take. It's actually whether the water you're using is being used too profligately, and you're actually contaminating the watercourse further downstream. So there, there are two issues there. There's protection of the existing water... Um, as in from contamination and there's the over abstraction of water both of them require efficiency they re require efficiency of application to minimise the amount of water applied and just as importantly efficiency of application to minimise the waste of the water applied and that's now in place that's legislation in place and in 2012 all river basins in the UK will have these catchment abstraction management strategies in place Jim thank you very much it's a pleasure